0: Hello Hopefuls, welcome to the Worst Movies We Am podcast. My name is Bobby and this is
1: Natalie, my
0: beautiful wife. And this week we are looking at
1: Planet of the Apes. But from what year? It's the 2001 version, I think. Mm.
0: (laughs) Never send a man to do a chimp's job. (laughs) The eyes of Seymour smile on me, Natalie, tell the people at home. What the Worst News We own podcast is all about.
1: So me and Bobby are married and our greatest asset, or in fact our only asset, is our DVD collection. We have love. We have Yeah, that's yeah, our only physical asset. <laughs> physical asset.
0: Yeah, there's, no, there's no physical love. <laughs> no.
1: Um, so we've decided to watch uh, the very worst of these DVDs that we own, according to the average ratings each one's received on the website Letterboxd. Uh, we're hoping that some of these really low-rated films will actually surprise us and be quite good after all. So we're watching each one with an open mind, even the ones we've seen before, hoping for the absolute best. We've not bought any of these films specifically for the project. It's a mixture of stuff we've accrued over the years, charity shop finds, sequels, things in box sets, as this one is in our Planet of the Apes bumper box set, which has the old ones, the new ones, and then this one.
0: Yeah, it's got, just just for clarification, it's a Blu-ray set and it's got all the Charlton Heston, Roddy McDowell. The old eight, ones. The eight ones. This reboot, Middle. remake, yeah. and then the first of the uh, prequel trilogy, which is very... Yeah. Uh, how, how, before we get into plot and details, what's mm-hmm. your favourite Planet of the X film?
1: this one what
0: yeah. oh shit <laughs> oh
1: my god yeah I knew we'd have problems right straight <laughs> I don't like films about talking apes right <laughs> um, I don't like the new ones I haven't seen all of them they're I think great I might have only they're seen the first they're absolutely fantastic one. I, don't, I don't like them um, mm-hmm. and the Charlton Heston one I've only seen the, the very first the mm-hmm. Charlton Heston ones I do not really like that one either Okay. Um, this, I wouldn't go as far as I mean, that's because the
0: classic of sci-fi, and I love it.
1: Yeah, but I don't really like sci-fi. It's not my genre. Okay. Uh, you know, the well, really, okay. really good sci-fi, I like, but it's not something that I seek out. Generally speaking, most sci-fi films seem silly to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is
0: one about Planet of Talking It's a pl-
1: Planet of Talking Egg, which is silly. I mean, it's... The, the good thing about the original one, the Charlton Heston one, from my vague memories of it, and I've only seen it once, and it was a while ago... It reminded me of one of the good episodes of Star Trek. Okay. With a twist at the end, but mm-hmm. with someone I really don't like in the lead role, yeah. which kind of ruins the film. But it didn't really seem to me anything more like a good episode of, of Star Trek. But it did have that, that good Star Trek thing of having, you know, the kind of, hmm. you know, the best episodes of Star well, the, Trek. The French philosophical...
0: the French sci-fi book it's based on, mm-hmm. Pierre Boulle's Planet of the Apes or La Planet of the Savage. Sarge. Sarge. Is quite different. But the adaptation of Planet of the Apes for um, the Charlton Heston, Franklin Shaffer
1: hmm.
0: film is, um well, one of the people who adapted it was Rod Serling who did The Twilight Zone. Okay, hmm. right. Sorry.
1: Um, but this, I mean, to me, sci is daft and it, it should appeal to kids. It's therefore for kids and, and adults, and it should be, you know, mo- most of these sci-fi films should be accessible to the family. And this one, of those three, if you split it into the old, the new, and this one, yeah. this is the only one that really, to me, is like a family film that you could sit down with the kids and the adults and the grandparents and everyone would find something to enjoy about it.
0: Okay, I, I mean, I would gonna say, straight off the bat, I disagree with that statement in, in many, many ways. <laughs> uh, I think the original Pat the Apes is uh, a brilliant thing and it spun off a TV show for the family from it. Yeah. That was a Planet of the Apes
1: TV show. Well, right, I'm not
0: going to be seeking that out. Okay. Plus loads of films, which, you know, Eddie Murphy's a massive fan of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just YouTube it. <laughs> um, and the newer trilogy that we've just finished, I know that uh, Fox, Disney, I think, kind of rebooting it again mm-hmm. now. Uh, but the one we just, the cycle we've just finished, involving Caesar going from Lab Ape, to King of um, the Ape Tribe on a post-apocalyptic Earth mm-hmm. is one of the best modern blockbuster trilogies made, in I, my opinion. In your opinion, It's really. up there with the Dark Knight and the Born identity <laughs> films as being a really, great, a really great series of modern blockbusters.
1: They're not for me.
0: Okay, that's fine. Tim Burton's Reimagining, which is how it was marketed, of The Planet of uh-huh. the Apes, ...doesn't conjure the same strong feelings from me, is what I say.
1: Well, no, I'm not... I'm, I mean, don't be mistaken in the fact that I think this was a particularly good film. I don't think it is. Like I say, it's not my cup of tea, but...
0: It's just more family-friendly. It's more
1: family-friendly. It's it's more fun out of the... Um, out of the, the, the all the versions of the film, this is the one that I'd most likely watch again. And I've never seen it before today. It's the first time I've watched it. I, I never watched it when it first came out because I heard bad things about it. Hmm. Um, even though I really liked Tim Burton, and at the age this came, I was when this came out, I loved Tim Burton. Yeah. So I was. I think maybe I just didn't want to watch it because I didn't want it to be, you know, his his like you yeah, know, I, I didn't want yeah. to see a bad Tim Burton film. Hmm. And it is; it's the worst of his films that I've seen. Really. I think so, I can't really think of a worse. West? I know you hate Alice in Wonderland, but yeah,
0: I quite like worse than, it. Yeah, Alice in Wonderland worse than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory.
1: Oh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. See, ch- no, you said that, that. No, it's, it's probably better than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. I forget
0: about that one. I, I would say, I, I we're going to discuss all this in at length. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be one of our longer episodes of the podcast. Um, Tim Burton just came straight out of the box and made classic after classic. He made Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. the Batman films, Edward Scissorhands, Edward, mm-hmm. A Nightmare Before Christmas, which mm. he has a strong kind of creative influence on. Yeah. Um, and then, some people saw Mars Attacks as a stumble. I oh, still love it. Oh
1: yeah, I like Mars Attacks.
0: And Sleepy Hollow maybe isn't quite as good as oh. those, but it still very much feels like a Tim Burton film.
1: Yeah, I love Sleepy Hollow.
0: This is the first Tim Burton film that, while well, the box office was flying didn't deliver to what I'd say is his fan base what they wanted mm-hmm. nor is it an easy to defend film to people who just want a good blockbuster yeah uh, and I think maybe that kind of decline noticeable decline of mastax Sleepy Hollow and then this which is yet yeah, very much an average film could have been made by anyone really with a few exceptions in casting and production design mm. um, is evidence that he 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 arrived in Hollywood with this great vision and ideas and once he'd used up those first ideas on gun-for-hire projects like Batman or projects that were more to his heart like Edward Cezanne's or Edwards, mm-hmm. he maybe didn't have quite so much to say and went from being uh, a visionary blockbuster director
1: mm-hmm. to
0: essentially a gun-for-hire. And I think the only really, really good film he's made since... Um, mass attacks, is uh, Sweeney Todd, the barber of Fleet Street. Yeah. That's, that's the only one that I think holds, holds a candle to that original kind of six or seven gold run.
1: Okay. Fair enough.
0: Cool. Do you want to tell people... How, oh, sorry, if you want to get off your chest, first of all. No.
1: Okay. no. I, I think w- my feelings about the film will be elicited from, from your usual questions. Okay. But it is a complicated one mm. for me. Because I feel like I need to defend the film because I don't I don't feel like it, it's it's fair that it, it's had the the kind of the drubbing that it has.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whilst it's not it's not really for me. And, I, it's, it's, and so just I'm, to make
0: your life a little bit easier, I don't hate this film. Okay. Uh, I think it's a perfectly competent blockbuster. It's got good things and uh, things it does well and things it does badly. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely feel there's been a studio interference with it, which we'll discuss mm. as it goes along. Uh, but as a Tim Burton film, it's disappointing. And considering the high standard of the Planet of the Apes franchise in general, for everyone apart from you, because <laughs> <Thank laughs> at the moment you're pulling the face apart <laughs> <I guess. laughs> from uh, But everyone else thinks these are really good films. This is a definite low point. Um, But maybe something that was essential to happen so that, you know, after they got the first reboot out of the way and it's terrible, the second time they remake it with the prequel trilogy, they've got more freedom, but people's expectations aren't quite so
1: high and the original isn't quite so revered. Mm. Tell them about the plot. All right, well, the plot, as I understand it, is that Mark Wahlberg is an astronaut on this exploratory spacecraft which is sending chimps um, as scouts to explore mm. places. They
0: don't trust Marky Mark Warburg to fly one of these spaceships. They'd rather have a monkey in there.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose the, the, the way they see it is that it's uncharted territory, it's safer to send a chimp than it is a human. Yeah, but so I'm, assuming, like testing, I'm assuming but these
0: drones are worth billions of dollars. They're not the space drones, drones, the well, no, chimps well. are... Yeah, I know that. Drone They're drone. referred to as drones in the film. Okay. Um, so the fact that they're not willing to put a skilled pilot in them, and rather have a chimp in them, is already a problem with the plot of well.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how smart these astronauts are, because the head astronaut refers it, to the apes as monkeys.
0: He's Marky Mark as well.
1: No, he's
0: not. Oh, you're thinking you're talking about J.O. Sanders
1: and. the... I don't know who the man was. He was okay. driving. He was he was making all the decisions. Mm. Uh, but Mark Wilbur's, Wilbur's got a favourite chimp uh called Pericles. Um and on one of these missions, Pericles is the chimp that gets sent off. Pericles gets into trouble in his little pod. So Marky Mark decides to steal a pod and go after Pericles to save him. But when he does that, he gets sucked into a wormhole and ends up being hurtled forward in time and crash land on this sh- crashes land. Crash lands? Crash lands on this strange planet. Ditches. Yeah. Um, and as soon as he breaks out of his pot, he finds himself swept up into this stampede of what looks like cave people, like normal humans, but dressed yeah. like cave people, running away. And he gets caught in a big net with all the rest of them um, by apes who are dressed in human attire. And they get taken to the city and treated as slaves and sold. But Marky Mark catches the eye of... sorry. Um, Ari, thank yeah. you. I'm going to the really struggle with the characters. So it's a, a film, film that doesn't
0: characters. map out what its characters are called very mm,
1: well. Yeah. Um, so Ari, played by Helena Bonham Carter, is a progressive ape who doesn't believe in treating humans like slaves. So she buys Marky Mark and this other woman looking lady who gets caught with him um, and hires them and, and takes them back to her house. Um, and her dad's this very important senator who seems to be more than just a senator, like he's actually in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Marky Mark decides that he's going to escape, and what you have then for for the bulk of the film is um, a kind of an adventure a mix uh, with with this gang, a mixture of humans and the good apes, um, trying to get Marky Mark back to his mothership.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: is, that, is that right? So I mean that's,
0: that's, that is roughly the plot. Yeah. yeah. It's. Uh, I mean. Uh, yeah. We'll, 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 Yeah, we'll discuss things about the plot during what we did and didn't like. Okay. Um, so, Planet of the Apes 2001 was directed by Tim Burton, uh, written by William Broyles Jr., with a late rewrite from Lawrence Connor and Mark Rosenthal. It stars Mark Wahlberg, Estella Warren, Helen Bonham Carter, Tim Roth, Michael Duncan-Clark, Paul Giamatti. Loads of Tim Burton regulars and Charlton Heston uh, made for a budget of a hundred million dollars um, on its opening weekend on July 20th 2001 it um, made 68.5 million and then finished its box office run in America of 180 million which is you know pretty good for a summer blockbuster back then worldwide it doubled its money totaling at 362 million um, it was going up against that year things like Harry Potter episode one, Rush Hour two, The Mummy two, Pearl Harbor, Shrek, Monsters Inc, uh, and AI, artificial mm-hmm. intelligence, uh, Jurassic Park three. It's also out that that, that summer. Right. Um, it has an average user rating on IMDb data, database of five point seven, which oh, right. is not, okay. not. Not great, mm. but not not the worst we've seen on this podcast by any means. Mm-hmm. But on Letterboxd, the woke kids of Letterboxd gave it a, di- a dismal two point two. Mm. A real drubbing.
1: Yeah.
0: Shall I have a little break? Mm-hmm. Mm. So, Planet of the Apes, a reimagining is how they pitched it. Is this a reboot? Is this a remake? No, Tim Burton was quite clear this is a reimagining of the of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um Natalie, what did you like?
1: Well, um, I liked a lot about the look of the film, which isn't surprising given that it is Tim Burton. It's not as you know it couldn't be his usual kind of gothic weirdness because mm-hmm. that doesn't suit the film. But what he does do with the setting of the city and the the planet that uh, Marky Mark lands on, um, I think is really good. I think it's it's like a um, it's very kind of fake, yeah. But in a good way. There's
0: there's an inconsistency to it. Um, when you're or when when he crash lands on the planet of the apes, for the first uh, four or five scenes, especially one set within the apes' uh, city, it feels uh, very much like a. Um, a high-budget reproduction of one of those 60s TV sets of an alien planet. And I like that. And with fake foliage and, you know, very clearly studio sets. Mm -hmm. um, And everything in them has been built for the the sake of the plot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I agree, I like that. But the film is a very slick production. It looks great. The opening sequence is on the very kind of pristine spaceship... Space Center, mm. yeah, you know, might not be miracles in one design, but there's never any flaw that makes you think they're on a set. It, feel, it looks, it looks, the, the effects are good.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, perhaps that is an issue then in people not realizing that the fakeness is intentional. Yeah. Which I can see why that's a problem, but uh, that's yeah. not, you know, that's on the, the audiences. Yeah.
0: But the costume design, especially of the apes, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're kind of dressed like. Samurais or imperial yeah, guards. Yeah, it's like
1: you kind of an, an uh, ancient Roman meets Oriental yeah. kind of look, and it does it. It's really good.
0: Colleen Atwood was the production designer. Mm. There was the costume designer, and she's won loads of Oscars over the years, including yeah. Mad Max Fury Road recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, things like that. I'm obviously Rick Barker does the uh, makeup and the prosthetics to make the yeah. human acts into apes. Uh, it's great for two reasons. Because first of all, it's completely convincing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it's, it's probably the best makeup I've ever seen in the film.
1: With one exception,
0: yeah. Uh, you don't like Helen Bottomcock. I don't. I'll
1: get. We'll, we'll talk a bit yeah. more about that in a bit.
0: Okay, that's fine. Um, but th- we're we're talking like in terms of if you grew up with horror movies, mm-hmm. uh, f- Freddie Krueger, Hellraiser, uh, the um, makeup effects in Planet of the Apes two thousand one is is like all your dreams come true in terms of what can be achieved yeah. in turning a human into something else.
1: And it's so it's so um, pliable. Whatever they've used it still allows the actors to to face-act. Yeah, they very see expressive. see their facial expressions. It's really yeah. good, yeah.
0: Um, and one of, the, one of the fun things is you can spend the film with a rough idea who's going to be in it, trying to figure out, oh, is that David Warner? Yeah, that's David Warner. Uh, he's is the only that, one is that, that I would have actually <laughs> Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah some, I, I think it doesn't help that some of the actors, the stars playing apes, don't do their traditional accents and voices. No. So it makes them a little bit more anonymous. I Think maybe Tim Roth suffers from the most from being pretty much a main character of the film, a leader mm-hmm. of the film, uh, and putting in a great villainous performance. Mm-hmm. And if he wasn't credited, you'd have no idea who played that. I
1: wouldn't have known. I, yeah, I, I'm really surprised that it was him.
0: Yeah, um, so yeah, I'm quite happy to turn around and say this is not a cheap production, mm-hmm. it's not a production where any quick winners have been cut in terms of. The look and the feel, it feels like a very consistent, well-made film the whole mm-hmm. way through, for the eyes. Yeah. Other areas, has problems. What else did you like?
1: Well, that whole um, first section of the film, from where he gets taken into the city um, until he escapes, I really enjoyed. It's fun. Like You see that they get taken into the city in the back of a, a wagon, and they see... Um, apes doing human things. Mm-hmm. So you've got kind of little ape children playing basketball, but obviously they can use their feet as well and swing their way up, which is mm-hmm. quite nice. And there's a there's an ape playing a, an organ grinder with a little...
0: Monkey collecting the coins.
1: Oh, I thought that was... Oh, no, human. human. Sorry, human. Yep, sorry. Yeah. yeah
0: a, a small person. Yeah, a
1: small person. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so that's like a nice little reversal. And... Um, uh there's like a dinner party which is also has also got a real kind of roman symposium feel to it um where you've got the senator and the general who does turn out to be the big baddie and he's played by tim roth like mm. we said um and a kind of um possibly based on real people but that general kind of corrupt rich annoying yeah uh, person could... at a dinner party who talks about going on holiday and how and mm. to some beautiful place and it being really boring.
0: It could be the same dinner party
1: from Beetlejuice, but everyone's in ape costumes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then you've got the escape um, where the uh, the cave lady who's been sold with Marky Mark will only escape if she can take a family with her. So they have to go around the city. Uh, grabbing the various members of her family so that they can make that escape, mm-hmm. which happens really fast. I think I would like to have seen that take place like slightly slower to spend more time in the city and see them do that. But what you do get is a really nice, fast paced scene with them running through people's buildings and all those people that you just saw at the dinner party. Mm. You see them going through their bedtime routine. Yeah, you see the private really life of one night.
0: I get the feeling up until the, ty- the point where they leave the city, we're seeing the film Tim Barrett very much wanted to make. Yeah. He's having fun with apes being humans but still having some of their ape culture and behavior and there, mm-hmm. uh, the world being turned on its head. um it you know, it's got a, a really fun anarchic sense of humor mm-hmm. um the production design's great during these sequences um it's quite jokey there's a little bit of kind of uh Political or satirical content in there, mm-hmm. which is quite rare for Tim Burton. But,
1: yeah, but it's uh, subtle, it's not kind of too overly clever or yeah. in your face or anything, which would be annoying.
0: It feels very much like, and this is a criticism rather than a positive, once he gets that sequence out of the way and we're in the desert and we're basically going through a retread of uh, Army of Darkness or a Connecticut Knight in the. A Connecticut Yankee in the Court of King Arthur or the of Oz, most recent Wizard of Oz film like you know mm-hmm. where you've got a stranger in a strange land leading people like a messiah but he doesn't really want to be the messiah yeah um, it becomes a much more boring drab film and you don't see any of sort of the stuff that you think might have attracted Tim Burton to the to the film, into one Mm. final moment at the end.
1: Yeah, it does, it sags in the middle, but there are moments which save it, I think, throughout the film, like it's peppered with nice bits, and you know, they they stumble, once they've escaped they stumble across um, a character who they first met in the city, He's like a, he's a slave trader, played by Paul Giamatti, and he's a lot of fun and, Mm -hmm. you know, he's a very welcome addition to the little group that they have.
0: And Paul Giamatti would still have been staking out his turf as, going from like a a character actor that you might recognise in the Truman mm-hmm. Show or other things too being a name in the credits yeah being a name on the poster at this point mm-hmm. American Splendour hadn't happened by this point I love Paul Giamatti; he's great yeah he is really and it is a really good value in this
1: yeah very yeah. much so we'll but
0: you, you were saying like you kind of thought the escape from the city maybe could be a little bit more action packed mm-hmm. I think Tim Burton's continual weakness when he takes on a big blockbuster like Batman mm. is he doesn't care about the action Uh well,
1: even... I'm, I don't even... There doesn't need to be conflict or or running, if, well, if that's what you You say that, action. but what
0: did most people buy an $8 ticket for to see in this film? Okay. I don't think it was to watch an orangutan clean his armpits with rose petals.
1: Well, no, but <laughs> if you come to a planet where there's, uh, you know, things are different, you want to see how they're different. Yeah, you want to d- see apes doing their I definitely thing. want to see that. Yeah.
0: You, I'm not saying take that stuff out. I'm saying... When it comes to the four action sequences in the film they have to have some kind of sense of internal logic and tension and care and instead what we get are melee's battles but where it doesn't really matter what the rules and logistics of the
1: winners or the stakes are. Personally that never bothers me. I I find long action sequences frustrating in films Mm. for a lot of reasons. I'm not
0: saying that action sequences have to be long. They have to have a point. And the only point to the action sequences in this film are to add things in the trailer that look like action sequences.
1: Okay. But um, when you know that they're going to escape, then they might as well... You, but know, they, you know they're going to get to that end point because they're okay. going to have to for the sake of the film. Why add frustrations? <laughs> <and obstacles? laughs> because
0: that's what an action film should have. It should have the
1: heroes overcoming
0: obstacles to get out of a dangerous situation. I don't need to see <laughs> the
1: obstacles in the film. Instead, nothing...
0: they just have a nice little run and... I would say throughout the film, and this this is what I didn't like, is for an action blockbuster, the action is not just poor, it's pointless. The uh, final battle towards the end, you've got humans fighting apes, and the apes no longer seem to have the strengths and advantages they had in earlier scenes. I like the battle scene. Okay, but it just looks like a poor man's brave heart with people in ape dress.
1: Okay, but I mean, it's not going to have people ripping each other's arms off and stuff, which, you know, actually would do, because it's a... For
0: kids, as well, there can be too much violence in it. Indiana Jones, and that's a very high watermark to compare this film to, but has the sense to not just have Indy rescue his dad from a tank, but to have Indy rescue his dad from a tank while there's various threats and escalating obstacles happen while that goes on, and that's a great action set piece. And other films have these great action set pieces. Rubbish films have at least one or two great action set pieces. Planet of the Apes 2001. The action's there very much as an afterthought with no real stakes or threat and certainly no surprises.
1: Well, I, d- I certainly didn't feel like the film was any poorer for not having more action. What I would have liked would be more more content, more kind of interesting things to see. Okay. Um, but, I mean, the, the, it's not just... For me, I don't think it's just the city that looks good. Um, the The camp... That they come across, like the the
0: with the red tents. Yeah, and, yeah that, that, that looks, looks really like, good too.
1: as well. And that that happens not long after they have the slightly boring bit in the middle. They come across the, um, the camp, so, with the the soldiers. Hmm.
0: Um, the second half of the film it seems to take the tone less of Planet of the Apes and more of uh, a Kira Kurosawa film, where one half of the the armies is. Dressed as, are apes dressed in armour.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's got all the little nice touches as well. The, the, ins, the, the way the inside of the tents are decorated, mm-hmm. um, with kind of like shrines to this god monkey, their, their monkey, oh, I shouldn't call it a monkey, ape god, uh, Simmius, Okay. So for any
0: monkeys or apes listening, occasionally we're going to get your species mixed up because we're not experts on primates.
1: But what I do like, there's another thing I like about this, is that they do draw attention to the fact that apes are not monkeys. Yeah, yeah. And it is annoying.
0: I'm pretty sure they did that in the original, darling. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> monkeys have tails.
0: They've got a far more clear strata of there's a caste system between the apes in the and Heston films.
1: Yeah, which they do, they do hint mm, at here. Yeah, they hint
0: at but it's not quite They
1: the even literally talk about caste system in it. Mm, uh, yeah, but not quite as clear as the, you
0: know, the orangutans, are your politicians and thinkers, mm. and you
1: know. <laughs> well, look, that is one issue with this, and it's not really something I disliked about it. So I could just mention it now mm. that the, some of the, um, so, some of the apes, I suppose they might have been to bread. Like the the are they gorillas? Are they chimps? It's really difficult to tell.
0: Uh, yeah, I I would say if you're having to dress three hundred people sometimes as apes. Mm-hmm. There's going
1: to be a case of occasionally let's have some fun with this one and make it look a bit different. There aren't many orangutans.
0: There's not many orangutans. Which I've is that.
1: like like <laughs> like in the real world, you know. Yeah, we, there, we there, redheads are a dying breed. There, so.
0: was, there was only one little uh, orangutan on the spaceship though, well, that Well, that makes seen. sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, what else did you like?
1: What else did I like? <laughs> um, yeah, I like I like the battle scene. Um... That happens quite close towards the end. Because it doesn't go on forever. It's nice and snappy. Um, You've got a kind of exciting moment where um, Mark Walburg comes up with an idea. It's like a tactical idea. Because they're facing... He's managed to get all the human tribes kind of on side. And then they're having a face-off with all the apes. And the apes are armed. And they're, they're, they're an army. And the humans are just cave people mm-hmm. um and he comes up with an idea but it really is not an all your eggs in one basket kind of yeah, if it idea work, if it it doesn't... It yeah exactly and that's there's, there's a tension there and there's a kind of moment where the dust settles is it going to work and then what they what the humans do technically if this was a war film makes no sense whatsoever because mm. they just kind of prove that they've not got any more yeah. ammo left doesn't, so it doesn't really make sense but you have a battle okay now let's stop
0: and discuss that part of the film, mm. before the before the battle okay. begins, when the, we have this standoff where the first wave of apes is defeated by a rocket blast from the uh, the dead ship. Yeah. There is a moment that occasionally happens in films, which is uh, a deus ex machina,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is when there's a ghost in the machine, a fault that's been set up that helps uh, the hero or the plot resolve at the last minute it's mm-hmm. uh, seen as quite a cheap storytelling device sometimes. Do
1: you know, it's actually, it actually comes from um, the ancient Greek tragedies um, and it's a piece of machinery that allowed a god character in a play to actually appear because the gods yeah. expedited the place. Yeah. Deus Ex Machina.
0: That's brilliant. This is kind of the opposite of that. This is a human character who's been set up through the film to be nothing more than a character who ruins the hero's plan at the last moment. Uh so I don't know what the terminology is, uh but I would call it based on uh the character in Dunkirk. <laughs> um. I could be useful sir so <laughs> uh, but the character has literally been established so that they can fuck up the plan um mm. by accident by incompetence um and in this one, the apes are coming, all the humans and the apes who are who know about what the what the trap is mm. are ready to execute the plan and there's one young lad who wants to be part of the team and keeps being told to stay back, and he decides to ride out, and the second he rides out, his horse falls over. So it it gives Marky Mark a sequence where he needs to be heroic, rescue the kids. It adds probably the only bit of tension in the film (laughs) where are they going to, once they're back on their feet, be able to get away from both the apes and away from the blast zone of the rocket that Mm. they're going to use? It's so forced... I mean, this kid is very much a background character throughout the film, and then three scenes before, we see him getting his spear ready so we know that he wants to be part of the battle. Mm. Two scenes before, he's told, you can't be part of this planet, it's too dangerous for you, you need to mm-hmm. land back with the other idiot humans. And one big scene before, he's riding out there, just literally to be a problem, a fly in the Ottoman, a spanner in the works, uh, and it's a trope that I don't think has ever really been recognised, or if it has, it must have a really good name of the character exists literally just to be a fuck-up.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are there are other, many, so many other characters. I'm going to be like looking
0: out for it in these bad films, and, or potentially bad films in the future. The I can be useful Sir, The I can be useful Sir, <laughs> <laughs> Characters literally just exist to create tension at a moment where the plan would go perfectly if it wasn't for... It's a foolproof fa- plan, so we've added a fool.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Carry on with the battle sequence. Um...
1: But just, just as the battle sequence is getting really kind of exciting and uh, the big baddie is facing off against Mark Wahlberg and they're having a bit of a scrap, um, then something happens. Yeah,
0: let's talk about it. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's, 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 it's my second favourite bit of the film.
1: Yeah, yeah. A, a character that you've forgotten about... But is a great character uh comes in. Like a Deus Ex machina.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> he 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 is. Yeah. Yeah, he is a Deus Ex machina and it's brilliant. It's uh it's one of the generally most weirdest well played moments in an average blockbuster yeah. I've seen. Uh it does improve what is very much um an unloved production for the second half of the film. mm
1: mm-hmm.
0: And it it's it... so, Tell the tell the people tell the hopefuls what happens.
1: Isn't I'm going to kind of spoil things. If they haven't
0: seen it in twenty years, darling. Okay. Okay. So everyone everyone's fighting. You're not sure who's going to win, ape or human.
1: Yep. And then there's a bright light in the sky. The heavens open. And the light comes down towards them, and gradually you can see into the light this little silver pod. Yeah. And then the pod lands on. To the... modernize,
0: it looks a little bit like an earbud.
1: Yeah. On the it <laughs> lands on the sands. Um and everyone stops fighting, everyone's staring at this pod, and the door opens, and there you have Pericles the chimp. From
0: the foot from the first from the beginning, scenes, yeah. Marky Mark was risking his life to save them, he forgot what happened to him.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he does like a kind of a... Thumbs up. Dale Cooper thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is his gimmick from the start. Of the He's film. not
0: great at it, but he does it.
1: Yeah. Um and uh Marky Mark gives him a thumbs up and it's a lovely Reunion moment and a, and a and a great way to sort of then take the action off in a different yeah the fighting direction. stops
0: because a lot of the apes believe this is their god yes
1: I mean, me. yes
0: Samos, john stamos <laughs> 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 um, and it, like I say it it's, a, it's 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 if anything a throwaway moment it's also possibly a sensible director who wanted to end the film on a Planet of the Apes style shot cliffhanger might have just ended there.
1: Yeah, it, 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 it would have been
0: a great end, like ending. The film goes on for another fifteen or so minutes, has mm-hmm. another twist, cliffhangery ending, which is also quite good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's an unexpected moment, and it works really well. Mm-hmm. And considering how trudgingly unimaginative the film's been for about an hour and ten minutes, it, it does come as a surprise to have a moment, that it feels more anarchic and Tim Burton esque.
1: Yeah. Um and the sort of the direction it takes it in. I mean you still have um Marky Mark and Tim Ross General in one-on-one combat, mm-hmm. but it moves to a slightly different setting and it allows for a more satisfying conclusion to that story. True. Sure.
0: This this is my uh one of my main issues with uh Planet of the Apes two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. Um when we we're first introduced to the Evolved Apes, the mm-hmm. future apes, the Planet of the Apes. These apes are faster, stronger, uh, more cunning, more nasty, um, unbeatable. They really are. Mm-hmm. Like how they're presented in the forest chasing the humans yeah. is they are a threat. You do not want to be near. Mm-hmm. And even in the city, they're a bit lazy because it's late at night. That's how the humans essentially escape. Yeah. But there's a, they, there should essentially be a real sense of peril. By the second half of the film, when it's more like a Spartacus uprising that Marky Mark unwillingly or begrudgingly leads to humans and the apes who believes in human rights in a battle against the ape army, Mm -hmm. it's presented as a standoff they can't win. Mm -hmm. And yet, after they do their one trick that they take out the first wave of apes, from that point on, it feels very much in the fight sequences we see as if apes and humans are equals. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, to me, just doesn't work. Um the, if you wanted to have that kind of action sequence in the film, there should have been a point where Marky Mark devised some kind of way the humans could fight three on one against the apes. Or well, they do
1: have weapons. They have
0: weapons, but so do the apes, so that cancels itself out. The apes have got the apes have got four limbs which they can use as weapon-holding limbs. Mm-hmm. They're faster, they're stronger, they're, well, arm- they're going yeah, but that's not that's not how the battle plays it. out. While well, the battle plays out at a stalemate, while we're watching it, um, now one way the film does improve is when the final face off between Marky Mark and Tim Roth happens. He, Tim Roth's hubris, is the reason he loses. Rather than you know he's more interested in the gun than he is in the power that it holds in the technology he doesn't understand
1: mm-hmm. than.
0: In the fact that he could defeat Marky Mark about the gun any day of the week, yeah. Uh, but and so I think that part of the film is resolved quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, but during the actual battle and other sequences during the film, they never really seem to care about the fact that the apes have been sold to us as beings that are superior to humans, mm-hmm. and humans shouldn't be able to defeat in one-on-one or even two-on-two combat. Um, okay, but
1: that's only, that really only boils down to one problem, it sh- then.
0: No, it, it does, but as a viewer, you're given action sequences you don't care about because it breaks the reality of the film. And as a director, Tim Burton clearly doesn't care about what the audience has bought a ticket for. He cares more in his kind of satirical, cartoonish presentation of the modern life of apes. that's what I I like. That's fine, but there's another hour and a half film that's that's a sci-fi action thriller or a sci-fi war movie that is just rubbish because no one involved cares about the storytelling of that part. You you can say there was a really good first half hour. Hands up, I agree with that. You can say there's moments towards the end that get it back to that level of quality, not a problem. But the bulk of the film is a film that no one seems to care about.
1: But I don't think it really needs to strive for realism. It doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense, that the apes and the humans are... I I think it does. I I
0: I think, Jim... You watch Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm going to use an example. And Freddy, when he's originally presented, is presented as a a dream demon who is pretty much unbeatable because you don't know what the the rules of the dream world are. Mm -hmm. And he feels like the king of that dream world. But as the film progresses... You start to see ways in which uh, Heather Langenkamp's character, Nancy, yeah. can beat the Dream King, the Dream Monster. Okay, it's earned. In this, there's a point where someone decides it's about the sequence between apes and humans. We can't have the humans lose, so they're just as strong as the apes. It's probably not even a conscious decision, but it's a decision of somebody who does not care about the viewers getting their satisfaction from an action film.
1: Okay, but my satisfaction was not harmed. But by you're a minority, that. darling. Well, that's okay, but um, we're talking about my, our individual perspectives of this film. Mm. And my if something told as an action
0: blockbuster of the summer doesn't deliver action that is in any way crafted any care for the audience, then that is an issue.
1: Yeah, but there are other parts of it that are do care for the audience. That I don't think them there mark. is.
0: I, think, I don't think there is. But you like
1: the bit in the city as well. Yeah, we've
0: got to move on from that, darling. We've talked about it. We've both of it's good.
1: Okay, so this then is a me, film let me, let me, where maybe there shouldn't have been a battle sequence okay. at all. But it's a very short battle sequence. It's maybe literally it's, about it's, two it's, minutes. It's the
0: finale of the film.
1: No, the finale of the film it takes place inside the old spacecraft. Okay. That's the It's finale. the final act. Actually, It leads up the to film. the finale. Okay.
0: Another problem with the films we watch it is there's about 20 characters introduced, very few of whom... We even know their names by the last couple of scenes. That is a problem. And it shows shows a lack of care. There's probably about five characters who could be cut out of the film, unessential to the film, Mm -hmm. don't add any entertainment value, don't add any plot to the film, and just seem to have been there because of a studio note or because of a previous draft. Mm. And again, there hasn't been the care to shape it. Is there anything else you like about the film before we get into all the negatives? No, let's just
1: move
0: on to the, but, the negatives. So to my point, and I'll ask you what your negatives are in two secs, is it feels very much like a film that a visionary director gave up on once they got the half an hour they wanted at the film.
1: But, but it does pick up again.
0: So it's not there, like there, he... there's, there, there's moments that are good, but it doesn't pick up. It's a film where Mark Wahlberg is cast as lead yeah. at a time where he didn't really have any box office power he'd been, at best, uh, George Clooney's sidekick in a couple
1: couple of hits. And in fact, he he chose to do this, as opposed to Ocean's Eleven. The the casting of the main characters is a big issue, because Mm. Mark Wahlberg can't carry a film. Well, that's a lie, because he's a very successful star now. It's not a lie, it's a personal opinion. (laughs) I don't like Mark Wahlberg, I think he's bland and he's a racist. (laughs) And the casting of Helena Bonham Carter in this doesn't work either. So the two main characters, it doesn't work. A lot of the other casting does.
0: And and to talk about a little bit of trivia about the film, there are issues with that aren't fully Tim Burton's fault, is what I'd say. Mm. Um, this is a film that's probably spent about a decade in various states of uh, pre-production at Fox. It's a project they wanted to happen mm-hmm. pretty much from the late 80s. Some kind of reboot of Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Tim Burton finally came on board at the turn of the millennium... Uh, he used previous drafts and production notes to craft together a script which came in at a budget of £200 And not only was that script rewritten essentially by studio people to get the budget halved, then the production time was reduced massively. had a month less shooting time than he wanted, had less production time on either side so he could hit a certain release date in the summer of 2001 rather than to give it another year to marinate. They needed, they needed a blockbuster in So it was a very stunted production. And I think you can see the compromises of the film as you watch it. Um, do you want to hear about people who were previously kind of lined up to be the filmmakers or people involved in the film? Mm-hmm. So directors who had passes at this during the 90s are Sam Raimi, Philip Noyce, uh, Michael Bay, Peter Jackson and the Hughes Brothers. You know, at least we can be thankful it wasn't Michael Bay who ended up with it. Yeah, okay. Um, the most likely time it almost got made was in 1993, Oliver Stone took over the project. okay. Working off a Terry Hayes script, he's the guy who wrote Mad Max and Dead Calm, so he would have been, came on Philip Noyce, I think. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, produced by James Cameron. And for some reason that didn't come together around 1997. Um... Over the time, once Arnie left, people like Harrison Ford, Kevin Costner, Patrick Swayze all lined up to be the star. Uh, When it got to this incarnation with uh, Tim Burton at the helm, Leonardo DiCaprio, Ben Affleck both turned it down. Matt Damon was second choice after Mark Wahlberg. In fact, Matt Damon went into the
1: Mark Wahlberg role in Ocean's Eleven when he walked from Ocean's Eleven to do the film. See, I find Matt Damon and Mark Wahlberg quite similar in looks and style, but obviously Matt Damon's a lot better, and this, this could have been a, a much better film if Matt okay. Damon had been in the main.
0: Role. And the only other alternative casting I've got for you is, instead of Tim Roth, first two choices for Thaddeus, General Thaddeus, the, the bad ape,
1: are Johnny Depp mm-hmm. and Daniel Day-Lewis. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's a blessing that it ends. Yeah. Then as well, yeah.
0: Um. So what didn't you like?
1: Um. Well, I've already mentioned Mark because there's no point in going into it in in much detail. But it brings nothing to the film. But the main issue is Helena Bonham Carter's character, and I, I like Helena Bonham Carter in other stuff. But in this, I just don't think it works. Her voice is annoying. Um, her character is this kind of slightly grating do-gooder mm-hmm. and she's also really creepy with Mark Wahlberg okay. like very kind of clearly in love with him mm-hmm. but in a really kind of mooning almost like I don't know inappropriate it just feels inappropriate it's, it's interesting really you creepy. say that
0: because one of the things that Tim Burton lost about was the studio once he took on the project is he wanted? I would have seen the second half of the film to essentially be uh, a consummated romance between mm. Leo Davidson the Astronaut and Ari, Human Rights Ape.
1: Yeah, I thought that was coming because another thing that's very noticeable about Ari is that her makeup is is wildly different to the other apes in the film. She's more She's Jewish. very well, yeah, but she, she's she practically got a, a human. She's got a human half of the face. Yeah, she's got yeah. human eyebrows a human haircut very much of its time mm. um her her lips are, are more human like than any of the other apes Every, everything about her is as human as it can get without her actually looking like a human yeah. and and that looks very strange um when she's surrounded by um by apes who go from slightly human to just completely ape like yeah but she doesn't look look like anyone else um yeah. so I, I agree with that um, and and I don't and and yeah I don't I don't want to see a romance between an ape and a. Well, so the
0: studio was right in terms human, of you, Dad, but Yeah, it, is it not more in keeping with the tone of the parts you enjoyed, where you see a, a world turned on its head to have the romantic lead be a female chimp?
1: Well, it would have been all right if she was maybe with another chimp. <laughs> okay,
0: how do you feel about Estelle Warren? Estella Warren, who uh, had like a 4 movie career. This is probably her biggest role. Is so that the being, blonde girl? Yeah, being Tits McGee in a film.
1: I don't know. I mean, she's she's a very pretty girl and her outfit is kind of a little bit like um, Ursula Andress's outfit. and She. In She, yeah. yeah. Um, so I can see what they're going for there. But the, that's, that's one of the main problems. <clears throat> None of the human characters really get much uh, attention or personality yeah. or screen time.
0: By the second half, Mark Wahlberg seems to prefer to hang out with the apes because they seem more of his intelligence.
1: Yeah, a lot, a lot more dedication and effort has gone into making the apes more well-rounded, interesting characters. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it really needs to, to be there. The, the, no, I'm,
0: I agree with that. It's. I guess one problem I've got with the humans, the prehistoric humans as such, however you want to call mm. them, um, is they can speak and they mm-hmm. do seem to understand everything that's going on to them. Yeah, and it's just the fact that they're the weaker species that they submit or accept the fact that they they're going to be slaves and pets. Yeah, um, <clears throat> which yeah maybe in reality is exactly what would happen, but it doesn't work well in a film like this that they um, they 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 don't seem like believable. A believable society of humans at any point.
1: No, and... I get the impression that what they're going for is a kind of um, this is what happens when technology exceeds our humanity kind of thing. Mm. You know, we push uh, technology to its extremes. Um, at the beginning of the film, they've got this spaceship and they're, they're exploring, and everything is, is high tech and te- not technological. Mm. So it makes sense that when they crash land on this this planet and then end up starting a, a kind of a tribe of humans, that without technology, they are going to be completely lost. In many ways, they're going to be set back to mm. to cavemen, like Einstein yeah. said. Um so I think that's what they're going for. And mm. that's kind of reinforced by the fact that when Mark Wahlberg um conquers the the big bad, the the general, um it's not by force, it's not by strength, it's by again technology exceeding yeah. humanity. But in this case, I suppose like ape yeah. humanity, the, the um, superior
0: primate
1: yeah yeah so he, he picks up a piece of of weaponry that he doesn't understand and it, it causes his downfall which is what's going to happen to the human race <laughs> yeah. so i mean that's that's a general idea, falls. <laughs> yeah, i mean that's it's a, it's a good lesson to hmm. to learn isn't
0: it i guess i guess on a, a less philosophical point uh the human's again, are poorly sketched in terms of we're not really ever sure of how intelligent or evolved they, or de-evolved they Mm -mm. are. Uh, It seems to swing to whatever the scene needs. And also, something that really annoys me about the film, now I think about it, and it's a film that's all right, but it does annoy me about the film, is once it introduces a human character, especially, it will not give them up. Yeah, They're, They're just there. Like hanging around like a conga line
1: yeah if, um, if one of them did get bumped off slightly earlier on it yeah. would maybe have added a bit more mm. like, sense of threat and danger to it and there's there's a slave human who, who,
0: who escapes with them who doesn't add anything but it's just always there and family members and Paul Giamatti gets a black guy who hangs out with him a lot and they never really develop that as a relationship that you can enjoy mm. yet they're always just together in the background so he's Paul Giamatti's apes keeper from that point
1: onwards yeah, it it does make you wonder where some of the time goes because it is a two hour film. There is plenty mm. that could could happen yeah. on that journey from the escape from the city to the uh, the spacecraft. Um, really, it, it's difficult to to pinpoint anything that does happen on that journey, and no. there's plenty of opportunity for something to happen. Mm. Um, so it, it becomes it's a very wasteful film. That middle section, yeah. Um, if you had the, the if it was if it was a three act thing where you had your first act arriving in the city life in the city escape from the city um and then the final act being the battle kicking it off and then the spaceship and then the big twist at the end and it had an interesting identifiable second act mm. then it would be it would be much better um as it is f- for me personally mm. it's a it's a kind of a, a it's a three act film where the, the it's like a sandwich and the bread's the good bits okay very weak bottom for the bottom slice of bread. the middle would be like I don't know corned beef or something that I just have to take out.
0: Okay. Uh, anything else you didn't like?
1: Did I finish with Helena Bonham Carter? You can carry on. As well. <laughs> oh yeah, there was just just to add to the fact that she looks really really human. Um, it means that when she does ape things, and there are some really good bits ape moments in the film where they all did uh, a month
0: of ape school. All the actors
1: he played oh, really? primate characters, because Tim Roth's really good. His movements and he's very tactile mm. in it. He's often like kind of touching other other apes, which you see apes doing. Like yeah. um, he's clearly paid attention at ape school. Mm. Um,
0: there, there, there are moments of their interactions that are so different from how humans interact that it feels alien and unsettling and uh, that's some of the best bits of the film
1: yeah yeah and Um, and some of the actors do it very very well
0: tim roth tim roth is really good in this he is uh, even though he's uh, unrecognizable
1: yeah and not someone who you think of as being a physical actor as well so you know snaps to him um but when helena bonham carter does ape things and she doesn't do them very often because she's so human in her look and her personality it's really weird Like she'll occasionally like once or twice she does the kind of like uh ca caw ca like sound of an a (laughs) chimp. You know, what's (laughs) that? You know, that kind of give it give it to me again. A shriek. It's a it's an it's a chimpanzee shriek. Yeah, but let me hear it. No. (laughs) Um uh and and she waves her arms in the air and it just looks really weird. Yeah. Um and I would just add to what you said as well about the um the names of the characters. I spent most of the film just really trying to listen out for one of the name what somebody being called by their name so i could try and remember yeah. it and, and it's hardly ever that anyone gets i don't think their name. Uh,
0: i think you see that marky marks called davidson from his uh, astronaut name badge at the beginning yeah. i don't think you hear his first name leo until the last 20 minutes yeah, and then you wonder how does he know his name <laughs> so, yeah, I that, don't
1: <laughs> it's annoying but as well it doesn't really make sense because I would have thought that this film geared towards families with a big budget that the merchandising of it would have been a big thing and who wants to buy a toy of a character whose name you don't know Yeah, that just seems really strange to me
0: I assume the toy would just be called Marky Mark
1: yeah I guess so You'd see, you'd cave t-
0: lady tits.
1: Yeah, you'd see the packaging, I suppose, and, and no, but I think they must have really shot themselves in the foot there mm. with the with the merchandise, because I'm sure there were toys.
0: Yeah, neat Chris Christopherson.
1: What happens to Chris Christopherson?
0: He, he sacrifices himself, but I think, again, this is a slight problem. There's a couple of deaths in the film where they cut away.
1: Right, because um, Yeah, because
0: they want the family certificate, which suggests that maybe... When Tim Burton was initially filming, it was a little bit more violent and nasty. Right, and then eventually, that was maybe it was Tim Burton protesting. If you're going to keep saying I can't show the death of this major character, mm. I'm not going to kill any of them now. They could they, he could be locked behind there. They could all fight and not die.
1: <laughs> so I don't mind them sanitizing films a bit to make them suitable for children, but you know kids have got to
0: learn about death somehow i'm going to assume this is the same certificate as let's like, say lord of the rings fellowship of the ring and there's plenty of uh, actual visible deaths yeah. <laughs> violent deaths in that uh same as casino royale or you know what what can be done in a 12a now pg-13 mm. pretty much you know with exception for maybe john wick and horror it makes makes the certificates redundant
1: mm, yeah Oh, there was something I forgot to say that I liked as well and it's a oh, very right. short brief thing. I just like the music. The, the Danny really Elfman good. school. And I it's, know it's Danny Elfman, so it's yeah. going to be good, but I but like... at least
0: Danny Elfman, Danny Elfman
1: school. It's very classical. It's a little bit like the planets. Yeah. Like the, you know, and it's... it's it, it, that, that's one of the things why I think I enjoy the battle scene, because the music's really loud and kind of stirring, and it's got that kind of like Mars... Yeah kind of feel to it um, but all the way through I really like the music so I just wanted
0: to mention that because I forgot to that's say. great I, I thought the uh, I really enjoyed the music as well the opening credit sequence of the armour and uh, ornaments of the apes mm-hmm. that we're introduced to has a real kind of sparkus feel to mm-hmm. it and I like that and it's nice to see all those really gorgeous visual elements actually incorporated into the film as it goes along they are actually Tim Roth's General Fade's mm-hmm. armour you're right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a little break. Mm-hmm. Natalie,
1: mm-hmm.
0: can apes swim?
1: I've never seen an ape swim.
0: Mm.
1: So um, I guess not.
0: You're right, Don. Uh, great apes cannot swim. Mm-hmm. That's why they, it's, zoos are encouraged not to build moats around their enclosures. But chimps mm-hmm. and orangutans have been known to dive and swim. Have a little paddle. Oh, really? There you go. In
1: zoos or in the
0: wild? I don't, I haven't researched that far. <laughs> well, there may be a difference there. there. There may be a difference, but like, yeah. The, the point is, there's a plot point, that apes can't swim, and it's essentially accurate. Although Paul Giamatti shouldn't have any real issues. He's playing orangutan, isn't
1: he? Oh, I don't know. He, I think he's a mixture.
0: He's a mixture? Well,
1: he doesn't have that weird kind of like, under the chin bag thing that orangutans seem oh, okay. to have.
0: Who was the Michael Parks of this film when everyone else wasn't putting in full effort? Who was delivering uh, Oscar-worthy performance?
1: Do you know what I had? There were a couple of candidates for this. Um, I was just going to go with Pericles, whichever chimp played Pericles because I think more than one chimp played Pericles because oh. his uh, skin tone changes from scene to shot to shot. All right, okay. <laughs> um, and then I was obviously we've talked a bit about how great Tim Roth's body is and his physicality and his makeup is the best in the film, I think. But for me. Paul Giamatti's kind of lovable baddie, his slave driver. Yeah. Uh, if If
0: trainer. you want a slave trader, yeah, who you like.
1: Yeah. You like
0: Charles Lawton in Spartacus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Charles Lawton, isn't
1: it? I don't know. Okay. Um, but he's he's funny. Um, and he delivers his lines really well. I don't think it's Charles Lawton.
0: Carry on then.
1: <laughs> anyway, um, and uh, his face acting is the best. Like in terms of. Like He's got a yeah. lovely cheeky chimp face yeah. um, and he uses it to be especially funny. Um, and he's in it kind of the whole way through. So if it, if it, he, he light, uh, lights up the screen for me every time yeah. he's on
0: it. I, I would agree with that. I would say a few years later, you'd completely expect it from Paul Giamatti to steal the film. But it's just at the point where maybe people didn't know his name. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's great in it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Tim Roth is great, but he's the lead. Yeah. Um, product placement?
1: I didn't see any product placement. I
0: didn't see any product placement either. Someone really missed a trick.
1: Yeah, you would think in a film like... Though it's not, it's not really Earth, is it? No. So it's not like they're going to have cans of Coke or anything. Mm. Like really all cans of Coke. So, yeah. Hmm. Why would there be? Yeah.
0: I guess uh, human rights is the, uh, the product that's been placed. The, mm. the bill of sale being advertised. Uh, if you make one change to improve it... What would that change be?
1: I would completely change the Helena Bonham character. Character.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Helena Bonham character. character.
1: <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Helena Bonham it's character. used to be. You can't character. say things. Exactly. <laughs> um, she's. They need that character. It's a really important character in the film, but I just find her so annoying in every scene, and like distractingly so that it just needs someone else. Um, and I, I really do like Helena Bonham Carter, I feel really bad, but it just needs someone who plays it differently, someone with more of like a kind of a rebellious, kind of rough and, and tumble maybe approach to it, I don't know who. Susan Sarandon? One, maybe someone a bit younger. Who Katrina you Jolie!
0: What does it matter though if Susan Sarandon's in 8 makeup? what age she is?
1: I suppose it doesn't, but she, she's got an old voice. Okay. <laughs> Not Susan Sarandon. Okay. I don't want to do not cover lovely Susan Sarin
0: in space of rubber. I I don't know what I'd change is is why I'm struggling. Uh it's the the, pro, the problem with this Planet of the Apes is there's enough good and stuff in it that you could recommend it, but it's nowhere near as bad as the rating it's been given. Mm. But it's a very wasteful film. It it, it squanders what's good about itself. Uh it's almost, it's almost like a Tale of Two Cities, this film, of the level of quality between one sequence and the rest.
1: How is that like a Tale of Two Cities?
0: As in, it's two different cities.
1: <laughs> but not like the book?
0: It's not a remake of the Tale of Two Cities,
1: that's not what I'm <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's a, it would be a stretch to try and compare it. No, that's not what I'm trying to say.
0: Uh, where do you put James Spader in this film? Um,
1: it's difficult. I'm not putting James Spader in a film where I can't see his face. So, in by that logic, I would have him as the Mark Wahlberg main character. Yeah, Leo Davidson. Yeah, doesn't have You know, astronauts can be any age, can't think. Look at yeah. Space Cowboys. I don't have any
0: massive beefs with Mark Wahlberg. He's probably not my first casting choice in a lot of things, but I think he does do a good job Or in mid-level action um, but yeah if, if, I would prefer James Spader in this role even yeah. though I've said many times in this podcast he doesn't do sci-fi very well
1: no but um, if he was in it I think I could get on board more with that um, romance storyline
0: that would make a lot more sense if Spader was trying to find That's,
1: yeah I could, I could imagine that yeah. I could accept it so yeah I think he'd be a pretty good choice
0: Would you because this is a different version? Whereas I'd say the prequel trilogy we've just finished, Mm. the Andy Circus prequel trilogy of Caesar's rise to power,
1: which I've only seen one of.
0: Yeah, it could, in many ways, matches up with the uh, Charlton Heston timeline. Right. Um, You know, would you remake this version of the Planet X, which is quite different? Takes the same basic plot, but then changes everything. Would you remake it as a, this plot again?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, it's nice to just be kind of thrust into the um, into the story of the, mm. you know the the planet of the apes is already set up and here it is rather than going to the the nitty gritty of the hows and the whys of something mm-hmm. that could never happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, make make a nice, fun, family friendly pleasant to watch Planet of the Apes not a Planet of the Apes film that you can never watch again because one scene and it gives you nightmares and makes you cry
0: is this a lot of fan service in this film to the original film
1: yeah which is is, is like that well I mean I'm not fussed because I don't really care about the original film it does seem a bit strange I suppose if you're trying to do a reimagining of it and then you're kind of anchoring yourself to a film that is something that you're kind of distancing yourself from but at the same time you know we always like going to see a film and and there's some kind of reference to something that we know in it mm. like a line um and this this has a couple of lines from the, yeah, the original the variations on those lines yeah a nice mm. lot of twists on the lines and charlton heston's in it well um, what do you think about
0: charlton heston being in it
1: <laughs> well
0: because you're not a fan are you no i
1: don't like charlton
0: heston do you know who isn't either of Charlton in mm. most
1: normal thinking yeah, people. But
0: in, in, in relation to the film we just watched.
1: Uh, no, Tim Burton? Another Tim. Tim Roth.
0: Tim Roth. And he had to
1: have like a very intimate yeah. scene with him. Uh, oh, right.
0: Said so they didn't talk outside of the actual scene. Yeah. And um, probably wouldn't have made the film if he knew he had to work with Charlton Heston for a scene. Fair enough. So I'm not a fan of the NRA
1: or Tim. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it needed a scene with Charlton Heston in it. No. Um, it was, you
0: know... Um, but if they cast someone else, say they cast um, Leonard Nimoy in that scene, or someone, uh-huh. some, someone of that age, yeah, who, or Christopher Lee, or, you know, someone, mm. you would have kind of know that's the Charlton Heston scene. Like, you know when we watch Mary Poppins Returns? Oh, and Angela Asprey. And then Angela Asbury turns yeah. up in the Julie Andrews role. It's like, we, don't, we know what that was originally written
1: as. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I could quite happily have, have lived without seeing the Charlton Heston scene. Um, I quite like the fact that, um, and I don't know if it was intentional, but the way the the spaceship has crash landed into the sand, mm. it looks like the crown of the Statue of Liberty. Oh, I didn't
0: notice that.
1: It's just oh, the, you're right. It does. It, yeah, 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 that's yeah. Which I, is a nice. I would simple, guess that is intentional. Yeah. yeah. Well done for spotting. Oh, thank you. Um, so yeah, little kind of hints and, and throwbacks to that. I've got I've gotten no problem with them, but equally if the film hadn't referenced it at all, I don't feel like I would have been, you know, d- d- done a misservice.
0: Yeah. I think it there, there's probably... There's, there's three overt references or twists on classic mm-hmm. moments, and they get them all done, and if it was more than that, I think I would have had an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Planet of the age 2001. Mm-hmm. Better or worse than Bad Boys?
1: Better. I'd hope I watch it again. And um, this... And I'd, and, I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it again, and it's not going to like open my world up to like oh I'm going to watch all the Planet of the Apes films now, um, but yeah, if it was on Saturday afternoon, tea mm. time, I'd pop it on quite happily.
0: Yeah, I, I, am going to say it's worse than Bad Boys. I just don't think it's consistently entertaining or um, made with any real care or or vision throughout. But it has moments that are from a much better film. Mm. Um, it's it's like I say. I think it's almost almost a shame that you can see the see the point where Tim Burton gave up being uh, a gold standard movie director, and this is it. Mm.
1: But he didn't because he made Sweeney Todd after this.
0: Yeah, no, you see, I, I, I enjoyed Miss Peregrine's School for... Yeah, a,
1: a, big, a, big Fish was made Yeah, I didn't like this.
0: Big Fish quite as I'll much. I like, as, like it. Big Fish. It's a film, a film I should like, I try it every five or six years, and it's just not, it never satisfies me in a way that Edward hands or Edward does, mm. which is kind of the wheelhouse is operating in. What's the last film you made? It wasn't that bad either.
1: We made Big Eyes.
0: No, Big Eyes wasn't very good.
1: Or was it on Miss Peregrine that he made? Pera- he's of?
0: made one since Miss Peregrine, but it was all right as well. Yeah, Dumbo. Oh,
1: I love Dumbo. Dumbo was fine. Yeah, yeah that was great.
0: What, has he got in the pipeline? Oh, I'm sure he does. Yeah. sure he does. Um, but yeah, um, I, th- I think he's, but he's, he's 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 on a bit of a little upswing again, but I don't know if he's ever going to reach the Giddy Heights, where every summer you've got Batman, Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, Edward, Mars Attacks, Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, that's that's a run very few people maybe Rob Ryan is the only person I think of yourself, just quite such a run of classics
1: mm. uh, yeah so it would be nice to see him maybe go back and do like another kind of famous horror tale like, like, like a Sleepy Hollow type yeah, thing I, take that kind of old fashioned traditional story and um, do something I think that
0: would very much be the best thing maybe the best thing that could happen to him is if he's someone like kind of the Bloomhouse Productions goes we're just going to mm. give you 8 million yeah do what you can of 8 million rather than here's 100 million to make something you don't massively care about
1: yeah ooh you could do like an anthology of Ambrose Bierce short
0: stories that would be, yeah, be great be wonderful. not much market for it but <laughs>
1: well get my ticket
0: <laughs> okay lovely stuff um, next week we are covering Freddy's Dead The Final Nightmare mm-hmm. you, 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 you like a horror film
1: I like a horror film I'm just not a big fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise well
0: we are going to watch the worst worst. worst. (laughs) (laughs) so uh, tune in then thank you very much for listening hopefuls
1: thank you